everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Neil and some Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We are privileged to have an amazing guest with us on tonight. Some of his accomplishments include the following. On August 16th, 2004, at the age of 17, this guest became the first African-American to capture the Boys 18's USTA National Hardcourt title in singles in the tournament's 89-year history. Also in 2004, this guest reached the semifinals of Junior Wimbledon, quarterfinals of Junior US Open, as well as the Junior Australian Open, and was ranked number six in the ITF Junior Rankings. Professionally, this guest reached a career-high ranking of 187 and faced Rafael Nadal in the second round of the 2005 U.S. Open and faced Roger Federer in the first round of the 2007 U.S. Open. He's currently in his third season as the associate head men's tennis coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Please welcome to the pod, Scoville Jenkins. Coach Jenkins, thank you so much uh, for taking time tonight and walking us through your tennis journey. Hey, David, thanks for having me. I look forward to this. Well, hey, I mean, we got a lot to unpack here. I was a big fan of yours uh, while you were on tour. And first off, I just want to say, hope you and your family are staying safe. And two, I understand, man, you're a new father. Congratulations. And, and how's that all going? Well, thanks, David. Um, it's going great. I can't, um, I can't describe it. You know, it's in words. It's uh, no sleep, but excitement, joy. Uh, blessing, all of it in one. It's um, it's pretty amazing. Do you have a tennis racket in his hand yet, or not quite? Not quite. I'm trying to get the left hand going, but I think he's right-handed. <laughs> um, so, I, but I, I still have hope when the left hand could come in someday. All right, sounds good. So we're gonna get into your uh, junior and professional career in a bit, along with how you got into college coaching. But first, uh, why don't you let us know how how you got started in the sport, and was there a point in time where you may have said, you know, wow, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, and this may help me um, get through college, or in your case, not even go to college and go straight to the professional ranks. Uh, so I got into tennis. I, was, I started playing about seven years old. Um, my parents have no tennis background, so uh, they played for, recreationally for fun um, in Alta in Atlanta, Georgia. So they got me into tennis as something to do after school. Basically, that was it. It wasn't um, – something to go to college or go pro. It was just something to do after school. And so um, I played basketball as well and soccer. But then about 14, 15, um, I just started playing tennis and took that very seriously. I would say about 15, I, um, when after I played my first Kalamazoo 16s and I saw all the colleges that were um, calling my parents that's when I kind of realized, man, I think I'm pretty good at this. If I can get, you know, UCLA and Harvard or Stanford or, you know, calling my parents and sending letters, like I might, I must be pretty good at this. That's pretty special. So we, we talked a little bit um, about some of those junior highlights and, you know, we will say you, you know, while you did capture the boys 18's USTA national hardcore title, um, you were the first African-American to capture that. I think the next two years, you had Donald Young who won it, right? So you'll always he be the, the first, but you won't be the only one, and that's a good thing, right? That's a great thing. Um, it's great to be the first. Nobody can take that away from me, but, but I'm happy I'm not the only one. Um, and I know Donald won it, then Francis Tiafo, he won it as well after yep. Donald. Um, so that's, I mean, that's great. That's great that, um, it's great that I can be the one that kind of started, and then we can just keep it rolling. Yeah, and what other, um, I mean, you had, 
through all your junior career, I mean, were there a couple things that really stood out to you um, before you decided to turn professional? Um, kind of what, what do you mean there, David, like stood out to me? I mean, whether it was a junior slams, was it, whether it was winning Kalamazoo, was there a certain match? Was there certain something that, that said, wow, this is, this is pretty, this is pretty freaking cool. So I turned pro in about May of 2004, um, right before Kalamazoo and before the junior French open. And so, um, I was, the thing with me was I was playing a mixture of future tournaments and junior tournaments, ITFs mostly. And when I was playing these futures tournaments, I was playing a lot of college guys when I was about 15, 16. And I was either beating them or competing very well with all Americans. And I could notice like, wow, if I'm at 16 already, you know, competing with two, three time all Americans, you know, at top schools, you know, maybe I can compete with professionals, you know, at the next level. Like, um, I felt like a lot of those college guys were ready to play at the next level, and I was right there. And so I think it was – the juniors gave me confidence, but playing those futures and being able to win matches, it really – I really felt like, man, I could – I could, I think I could be a player. So with that success, um, was it pretty easy for you to skip the college ranks and go pro right away, or were – you know, obviously you had a ton of schools that were interested in you. Was that a tough choice to make? And I believe we, when we were talking, you know, prepping for this, you actually did take a college visit, correct? I did. I took one unofficial visit and I was the University of Florida. Um, it was, that was a very hard decision. I, like I told you before, I played a lot of futures and um, small liver pro events and I saw how tough it was out there compared to playing the juniors. And I didn't think I was really ready, um, but people were, my, my father was pushing me, uh, coach was pushing me, you know, everybody was pushing me, you know, to be a professional. And ultimately I wanted to be a professional. That was my goal was to be a professional. And so 2004, 2005, when I graduated high school was in 2005, that was very different now than, um, than it was back then. Back then, going to college, other people just didn't go to college. You either, if you were a top pro, you went, you, if you, excuse me, if you were a top junior, you went pro. And if you weren't, you went to college. That's how it kind of was. And so I had opportunities from sponsors and agents, you know, to really go pro. And that was my goal. Like, I just wanted to be a professional at all, at whatever, whatever it took. And so right. when I had the opportunity to go pro, uh, when I signed with Octagon when I was about 17 years old, then um, then that's when I knew, like, as long as I had the opportunity, I thought I was ready to go. Right, right, right. Now, I remember watching you several years. This is one of my favorite tournaments to go. I lived 20 minutes away from the site at the Winneka Challenger. And it was there where um, I met your father, who, by the way, is one of the nicest guys. I met him a couple of years when I attended there. Um, talk about... Uh, the model of a tennis parent. I don't know what he was like when you were really young going through it, but I'm um, talking with him and watching him, observing him while you were competing professionally. I mean, talk about a model tennis parent. So shout out to him. I know uh, again, in talking with prep and uh, in, in talking and prepping for this interview, you enjoyed that tournament. And, and, you know, for the listeners, you battled and Kevin Anderson more than one time in that tournament. I think you competed against Kevin in like a few tournaments in a row, right? I did. So Winneka is one of my, um, as far as like challenger level tournaments, I think it's one of my favorite. They treat the players so well there. 
And one of the years I played there, I played Kevin Anderson maybe in the quarterfinals. And that stretch in that summer, I think that was like the fourth or fifth time we had played each other consecutively in a row in a tournament. Not necessarily first round. Actually, we only played each other first round one time. It was right. – we played in the Later finals on. of the future. And it was – it. I end up like we – Kevin and I ended up being good friends, but we were fierce competitors against each other. And every time we played, nobody won two times in a row. You wow. either won or you lost. You know, that's so that's funny. how tough it was. You know, we, we always against each other, we, we kept um, taking notes on what to do next time. I know I always would. I, here's an interesting story, and I didn't even t- I, we didn't even talk about this, but I remember one year you made the semis and you lost to a guy, and I, I, wish, I, I wish I knew this name. I, I, it just came to me now. That's why I didn't do the prep. But you lost to a guy in the semis who then later that summer beat Andre Agassi, I want to say, in Washington, D.C. or something. It was Andre's late in his career. Maybe it was 2005 or 2006. But he beat Andre early around, and Andre was struggling. Um, just he had injuries and back injuries. I don't remember that name. Do you? I, I, he was an Italian guy. Yes. And that wasn't my first time playing him. Um, I can't remember his name on the top of He my was head. an I'm Italian, sorry. though. You're right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And I That's had played funny. him before as well. Um, okay. And I think I had beat him before. And he beat me in the semis there. And I was very upset after that because I, I think I beat him prior to that. Did you? Yeah, he, I, I remember that match. He played a very – I mean, you were rolling that week, and he just played a very, very – he had a great week there, and he played very well. But that's funny. That guy beat you, and then later that summer he beat Andre. Um, talk a little bit about playing on the biggest stage, right? And you played two of the, the, the greatest of all time. I mean, you not, no one could ever take that away from you. What was it like – and, again, Rafa was basically a kid when you played, when you played him, but you obviously knew how good he was. And then obviously um, Roger, both at the U.S. Open, Rafa in 2005, Roger 2007. What were some things that you noticed about both those guys that you can share with us? Um, well, the first thing you notice about playing the doll is his anticipation. And he's just like relentless on the court. You can't get a ball by him. Um, even if you think that you're on the offense and you could have a ball on top of the net, he'll somehow still feel like you have to hit it out of the stadium to get it by him. Um, how, did that ball just, feel, he, how did that ball feel to you when you had to hit it? I mean, you, had you ever seen a ball like that consistently, that heavy, that much spin? No, I had never seen a ball like that. Um, you know, that was the first year that he won the French Open. So that year in 2005, he played a lot different than he does now. He was more defensive then. Um, but I could tell, like, if you got the ball to his forehand side where he was neutral, it, the point was over. And you would have had to have a great backhand to be able to get out of that rally. Like, it was just too tough. Um, and you had to have some confidence. You have, to, you have to really play him. You have to go for a lot. You got to really be aggressive. And if you're not – he's the best he's the most consistent player in the world like he just won't miss <laughs> and, and and roger roger you know he has every tool in the toolbox um his slice was the best slice i'd ever seen um i remember going to that match my coach and i you know we watched so much roger federer for our, for so so long and you know he remember telling me 
He's got a great that short chip back in his short like, chip slice. Brutal. It's like he's baiting you to come in. If you go up the line, you're going to his forehand. It's done. If you don't hit it good enough cross court, he can go anywhere with the backhand. So I remember he's like, you just got to hit it hard up the middle, and you almost have to like give him no angle, um, because he can he can turn it on. I never played somebody like that that they could maybe miss two, three balls in a row and then just turn it on for the next set. Um, <laughs> I'd never seen that before in my life. <laughs> I remember reading a quote from you, I think after that match, and, and a lot of players said the same thing. Like, he never makes his opponent feels comfortable. You're never hitting the same ball like twice in a row. You can never get in a rhythm. Can you talk about that a little bit? I would say the biggest thing with him is you're playing chess out there with him, and he's just constantly – a step ahead of you and you know it um you know every shot he hits is to set up the next shot and when you're playing him i'm thinking if i don't hit this good enough then i already know what he's going to do to me i watched him do it on tv millions of times you know and so you're always feeling like he's he's out thinking you out playing you he's a step ahead of you you're always feeling under pressure like if i don't do something He's just going to go back into, I don't know, maybe hitting a great forehand cross up the line, a slice short to then go me up the line. You know, like I, I have to be on the offense. I just felt you feel so much pressure to be able to do something or he will embarrass you. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, it's it's super cool that you got to share the court on the biggest stage against those two guys. So thanks for uh, thanks for talking about that. So. You then, after your professional playing career, you then transitioned into coaching and specifically got into collegiate coaching. And we're going to talk about that. I mean, you started at Kennesaw State. You then went to University of Washington, followed by spending four years in Wisconsin with the Wisconsin Badgers. And now you're, you're in Stillwater. Um, well, I mean, obviously, with all your playing experience, with all your playing experiences, you have so much to offer. Was college coaching something in your sights? I mean, I know we were again in talking, getting your degree was important. So that may have seemed a natural fit for you to get into this arena. Well, so I had a really good friend I grew up with played college and at LSU. Um, and he was a two time all American in doubles there. And we stayed really close. Uh, we're still very close. And so I would go visit him at LSU at times that I had off. And there was one year I was hurt and I couldn't play French Open and LSU was playing in the Sweet 16, I believe, in Athens, Georgia. So um, I drove down to watch that match. And right after that match, I think Georgia with John Isler playing one was playing UCLA at night. And I just absolutely thought that was the best atmosphere, environment I had ever seen on a tennis court before. Um, and keep in mind, at this time, I had played on Arthur Ashe. I had uh, been to every Grand Slam, uh, Indian Wells, and I played on a lot of big stages. And I had never seen something like that before, wow. where that environment, it was breathtaking. It gave me the chills. And I always thought, wow, like, this is, a, this is really cool. And I wanted, like, I didn't know much about college tennis, like, other than, you know, playing one through six. That was it. Right. And so um, after that, I wanted to get more information and I wanted to get into college tennis. I wanted to try it out. I wanted to experiment with it. I thought it was, I thought it was one of the most amazing things I ever seen on a tennis court before. Yeah. I mean, you didn't, I mean, growing up playing juniors, 
um, unless you're playing doubles or whatever, and that's only with you and your partner, you've not, you're really not in that team type of environment. Now you're seeing more of that on the pro tour and how everybody is enjoying it so much, whether it's labor cup or whether world team tennis, which just completely, which uh, just completed their season, which was amazing. And they're seeing more of the team environment, the players and ev- and the fans are loving it. So you were, you were kind of hooked from the, from the get go, huh? I was hooked from the start. Um, I just, and it wasn't even like, I can remember watching the match, the tennis match. And I remember looking at the stands and I was like, wow, this is like, I think there was 10,000 people. Wow. And the atmosphere was just amazing. And I always thought like, wow, like if you're, you play in this atmosphere, this is like a special atmosphere to play in. This is unbelievable. You know, that these guys get to do this and they're, they're playing for their school like this. This is, I thought it was, I was sitting in the stands I was jealous. I was like, wow, this was amazing. <laughs> so cool. So, I mean, you played at the highest level, right? And you played against the best of the best. When you got into coaching, was this something that you initially thought, you know, heck, man, I played Rafa, I played Roger, I played on the highest of stages. Um, coaching is going to be easy. There's, a, you know, I know, I know the game. Was there some type of wake-up call? Because obviously just because you played at an elite level does not necessarily mean you'll be a great coach. And, and it goes vice versa, right? You, you, there are people who don't play at a, nearly the level you did, and they're fantastic coaches. So maybe talk about your transition and, and all the stuff that you had to learn as far as language and temperament and, and everything that goes along with it. Well, my coach that I had growing up from about 14 to 20 years old, um, he wasn't a very good player. And um, I really trusted him. He was an unbelievable tennis mind, still is unbelievable tennis mind. So I knew that just because I played doesn't mean I know everything or I know more than you or I can do this. Like, I knew my playing career would help, but I also knew, like, the relationships. My coach and I have built such a great relationship, and that's what really helped my tennis. So I, I understood, like, going into this, like, for people to really trust me on the court and to be their coach – it's not going to be because I was a great player. They have to really trust me. I have to invest in them, you know, like they invest in this program. And so that was my biggest thing was um, I didn't want to go into this thinking I had this great junior career. I was a good pro. You got to do what I tell you to do, you know, and that's the way it is. You know, it was more like I wanted to do this together. You know, I started off my coaching career. I did. I still do the conditioning with the guys. I love to hit in and play sets, baseline points, and just grind with them. Um, that was my biggest thing. And so as far as the level, though, it was a little different um, as far as level of tennis to get used to. Um, but I, I went into it with an open mind, and I just wanted to learn. I still, I just wanted to learn. I just wanted to learn how, how about the business of college tennis. Well, I, I... – I have this next question on, the, on my list here, and I think just talking with you, you're, you're pretty hooked on, on the college game. But if there was someone particular um, that really got your attention and they said, Coach, would you go on tour with me? Would that be something that you would be interested in or are you pretty much, uh, you're pretty much happy with, with, with college tennis and especially at Oklahoma State right now? Um, I'd be absolutely interested in it. Um... I haven't been on tour since I played. Um, I have been coached a professional on tour, uh, but that would be absolutely, um, it's a challenge and I love a challenge. Um, 
And if it was somebody that I really believed in and we believed in each other, absolutely, I'd be interested in it. I don't, I would never shut down that door ever. Uh, and I think, you know, you have a new family now, so we're, we're going to need to get to come. Con- we're going to get to uh, some consensus on, on your family. If you have to start traveling, you know, what, 45 weeks of the year, but no, it'll it, be a little interesting. Interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it'd be interesting. And it, it's interesting to hear your thoughts on. Um, well, this was fun. I mean, we covered what we wanted to cover. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I appreciate you walking us through your journey. Um, again, I was a big fan of yours growing up, um, watching you play on tour. And it, it was fun following you. It's fun watching your journey through the coaching ranks. And, you know, before we end it, it's, it's a crazy time right now. And we, we've heard some news. Certain, you know, college programs are getting cut. There was a big one that got cut the other day after this season with the University of Iowa. So we know all the craziness that's going on right now um, with the virus and everything. And, and, and hopefully, you know, we get through this sooner rather than later. No more programs get cut. And I want to wish you and your team, um, you know, first of all, be safe. Best of luck this coming year, 2020, 2021. Hopefully there's not a, the, too many stops and starts here. And again, to your new family, man, stay safe and and best of luck. And thank you for doing this tonight, Scoville. I really appreciate it. David, I really appreciate you uh, reaching out to me. Um, I really appreciate you having me on the show. It's great. I hope that um, we can all play tennis, college, and college tennis in the spring of 2021. Um, I think it would be great for, for everybody. And nobody wants to see any programs get cut or anybody, anybody have to suffer. So I hope everything turns around. I hope we can be better. Agree 100%. Thanks a lot, Coach. We'll talk soon. All right, David. Thanks so much.